Imagine having all, guess all, of your learning challenges solved. With the Tables Learning Suite, an AI-powered LMS built for enterprise, you can tackle any challenge. You can easily create and manage content, deliver training, and measure the business impact of your programs. Dechebo is built for customers, partners, and employees alike, with dozens of integrations to embed directly in the flow of work. Check out Dechebo today at docebo.com. Hey everyone, Adam here. So what you're about to hear is an interview that I did with Steph Pellegrino, who leads customer education at Gong. And both of us are hiring managers in customer education. And frankly, we're seeing what's going on in the market right now. We know that a lot of you out there are trying to apply for customer education roles, whether it's leaders, individual contributor roles, instructional designers, as well as many people trying to pivot into customer education right now. And we know that it's tough. There's a lot of people trying to apply for not a lot of jobs. So we wanted to sit down and get as candid as we could about what we're seeing from our perspective as hiring managers, as well as what other managers are telling us about the experiences from from their side of the, the interview table. And so we wanted to be as candid as we could really to help because you don't always know when you're interviewing for a role, what's going on in the recruiter's mind or in the hiring manager's mind. And granted, we are just two people. We're not going to speak for all hiring managers out there, but we thought that if we could get as candid as possible about what we're seeing and try to be helpful for anyone who is interviewing for a role right now, that getting a little bit more of an unfiltered look would be really helpful. So I hope you find this useful and it's going to be a two-part episode because it's a really long conversation. We went into a lot of depth. So I'll see you on the other side and I hope you really enjoy the episode. Welcome to C-Lab, the Customer Education Lab, where we take customer education myths and misconceptions and we we hit them with a, a meat tenderizer. Is that what you do with a meat tenderizer, Steph? Do you hit things with it? I mean, let's just go with that. <laughs> Why not? Okay, well, cool. As as you might be hearing on uh, the recording here, I am here with my good friend, Stephanie Pellegrino, who leads customer education at Gong. Hello, Steph. Hi, Adam. Good to be with you again. Always. Good to be with you too. And I am so happy to have you as a returning guest on the show. Because the last time we talked, it was a really, I think, fantastic discussion, really candid, free-flowing, talking about customer education leadership, the next generation of customer education leadership. And I don't know, I really enjoy my my conversations with you. You're a good conversationalist and and you've done the work. I'll take it. I'll take it. It was an an act of magic, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And humble. But today we're here to come back to the topic of, let's say, customer education careers and so it's something that we find ourselves coming back to. And I'm, I'm happy that you're joining me again. Me too. I think this is actually like, I thought the last topic was as well, but I think this is a bit of a vulnerable topic for people. I'm very excited about this, Adam. I like getting vulnerable on the show with you. I think these are some of our Brene would be very proud of us. Let me Oh, just... you're on a first name basis with Brown. I'm going to go with it now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we jump into a very candid and vulnerable discussion, we should first acknowledge that today is National Pistachio Day. Ooh. 
Mm-hmm. Do you like I'm pistachios? I do. I'm very against though how easy they've made them because now they like de-shell them for you. And that was the yeah. only thing that kept me from eating like a gluttonous amount of pistachios. So I have to say, I enjoy pistachios, but I don't love that they've made it really, really easy for you to enjoy them now. Same with pomegranates. You know what I mean? Like there's something to be said for earning the joy that a pistachio gives you. Right. You, you have to put in, oh gosh, I just, I just forgot the name of the concept in learning effortful. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, wait, no, no, but now wait, no, no, now I don't know where you're going with this, but I'm all, I'm, I'm very excited. It's the instructional design principle where the learning is often relative to the effort that you've put in to learn the thing. Got it. There's a name for that and there's a person's name attached to that theory and I'm completely blanking on what it is. Well, you're going to give me now, now I'm going to have like a moment where I'm just going to see and I can't, I can't Google search it fast enough. It's not happening. Yeah. And people are now going to get in our comments and tell me what it is. You're going to be like, how could you not know this? Although, can I just say that's also what getting older is? Can talk about being vulnerable. Can we have a moment where there are days lately where I'm like, I should know what I'm (laughs) trying to think of and can't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have those moments all the time now where the old mental Rolodex doesn't really work the way it used to. And the fact that we call it a mental Rolodex also means we're old. Also ages us 100%. I'm all for it, though. Kids go Google Rolodex. (laughs) Oh, kids. Yes, kids go Google Rolodex. Okay, well, I also at the same time cannot find the name of this theory. So... You know what? While we're getting candid and vulnerable, I'm going to go ahead and be wrong about something and admit that uh, I've completely forgotten the name of this instructional theory that I'm thinking about. Totally fair. Let's continue the, we'll, we'll back, we'll back out of this, back through pistachios oh, all the way. Oh <laughs> yeah, all the way. I'm going to have some pistachio paste after this. You clearly live in Europe because that is like a very European thing to say. Pistachio paste? Yeah, because it's like we can get pistachios here, but you can do so much with pistachio paste. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I liked living in California and having access to a lot of, you know, nut varieties and and you can still get them here. But you're right. Italy especially does great jobs with pistachios, pistachio gelato. Uh, Yeah, we have this pistachio paste that's sort of like pistachio Nutella and it's amazing. Yes, I'm very jealous right now. I'm you can probably import. I'm like, I'm sure there's some site that will sell that to you yes, in the U.S. Totally. You want to know what I don't need to do? Import pistachio paste, Adam. <laughs> okay. Fair. I don't need, need that in my life. I'm just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. And so now we're back through pistachios and back to the original topic, which is, again, getting vulnerable about customer education careers. And Specifically, what we're talking about today is interviewing for customer education roles. And this is a really timely topic because like, let's, let's not mince, mince words here. Like in the current economic environment, we are seeing more people than ever looking for jobs. We've had huge waves of layoffs uh, across pretty much all of tech. People are job hunting. And yet we're still seeing customer education growing. So we have people with customer education backgrounds searching for roles. There's just fewer roles open at the moment than there were, say, what, this time last year. Yeah. I think it's also like, it's just, I mean, look, there could be an entire podcast dedicated to what's happening in the tech space in general. But I think 
in our very specific education world during what's happening. What's also fascinating is despite there being a lot of layoffs and things like that, I also think this is still the moment for customer education. I still believe that businesses are looking at customer education as a way to reduce churn and increase adoption. And some are still hiring or some know they still need to, like maybe some of the teams that like, it's really fascinating to me because there are less to your point, but I, I truly still believe this is very much a moment for education to shine. I agree. Dave and I did an episode about this uh, a few episodes back. I think it was in the fall when the, the layoffs started happening and we were trying to dig into the trend of were customer education teams getting cut wholesale were they having, you know, were they being affected, but relatively in line with the rest of their organizations? Were they actually not being touched at all and given the mandate to scale the rest of the organization? And I'll tell you, at least from what I'm seeing, it's not the first one. Customer education teams are not being completely cut. No, I agree. And if they are, I think it it's not because a lack of value on education, but maybe more where those orgs are in the company and things like that. Yeah, there's there's other factors at play. And I think there are, I mean, there are some teams out there who aren't telling their value story or aren't aligning to that idea of running a leaner and more efficient business. And maybe those are the ones that are that are getting affected more heavily. But that's that's not that's that's the pretext for what we're talking about today. The point is. Yeah, like you, I'm I'm seeing the same thing where customer education teams are largely remaining intact, but given the mandate to run more efficiently. And if they have hires, they have very few hires to make. And that makes totally them makes all sense. the more critical and why this podcast will be so helpful for many. Yeah, I would I would hope so, especially those I think let's say there's two flavors of people who might find this helpful. There's people who have been in customer education roles and Maybe they're looking for another customer education role. And then there's people who are pivoting into customer education, either from higher ed or academia, L&D, customer success, transitioning teachers. There's a lot of people who, who want to get into customer people. education. Yeah, I couldn't agree fact, more. Those flavors one of our most popular, different. yeah, one, one of our most popular episodes was the one about transitioning into customer education. With Monica Sindwani, that was episode 73. And we, I looked at the analytics recently. That's one of our top performing episodes of all time. I love it. I think I do. I think it's a big pivot for a lot of a lot of folks right now. Yeah. So if you think about those flavors, though, the people who have direct experience with customer education already would have the advantage. Would you say? I would. And the only reason I hesitated there is because the only time I would maybe not agree with that is slightly dependent on the org that you might be applying to. Meaning there are times where someone might say this, the way this was working or the way this was, we were doing this and only the old school methods didn't seem to work. And it's one of those, like, let's be honest, some of these like really young, small startup companies looking to do education through say like, like YouTube or some of those things might say, mm-hmm, hey, mm-hmm. you know what? Your non-conventional education, like that's okay. Let's talk. But I do think fundamentally, most of that, you're right. Those with direct experience are gonna have a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. If you're if you're one of those tiny startups and you're hiring your first customer education role and you yeah, you like 
just want to do things on YouTube, you're, you're probably either making an internal transfer or yeah. it's a marketing role, maybe exactly. someone with like a marketing or a video background. Yeah. I didn't do a good job of like kind of saying what I meant, but fundamentally I agree with you. I think those with direct experience right now applying for those roles are definitely going to have a leg up. Yeah. So in a way that means that if you're in one of those other flavors and you're, you're transitioning into customer education, we'll try to give you some, some tips. And I think these tips would also apply to people who have been in customer education. And looking to make a, yeah. But let's say you, let's say you haven't done the job yet. Like what would, what would you do if you were pivoting into customer education to prepare to be competitive for a customer education role? I think one of the biggest and like most important things is to to go on a selfless listening tour, to be really, really honest. Meaning I would absorb as much information as I could if I'm looking to make the pivot first. One of the things I would do is go on a bit of a listening tour to really start to understand how customer education works and begin to formulate a perspective, a point of view on that. Because I think a lot of these, that that flavor of person listening to this that is like, I'm looking to pivot in. I, I do think, yes, those that have direct experience may have advantage, but I think this is the era of trying to show some of these other skill sets actually are really well suited. But I think you need to combine what are these skill sets I have with a point of view and a perspective based on sort of talking to those that have been in the space and being able to to present that. When you describe it as selfless, what what are you what are you defining that against? Like what what would selfish listening be? Uh, yeah. Well, selfish listening is I'm only talking to you because I want to know if you're hiring and doing it so that I can get a job out of it. And I understand that if you are looking to pivot, you obviously are asking for a job there. But some of the best conversations I've had or eventually like points in my career were based on what I would call selfless, just connection and not the, I just want to pick your brain, but really it's, I'm looking to see if you're hiring and please look at me and like, don't treat it necessarily like an interview, though you should come prepared and all that stuff. But it's, to me, it's, I don't have a end goal in mind other than to learn so much about this and ask really intelligent questions. And I think to me, that's the selfless part. So this would take the form of doing like asking for informational interviews or talking to other practitioners in the field, things like that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean like, I guess I don't, I don't want people to think that it means like you can't be open and honest about like, Hey, I'm looking to pivot and like stuff. But I think it's so obvious when you chat with people who just are there with really one thing in mind. And that's why I'm saying for those that are looking to pivot into this space, really just listen to the business and what they're trying to solve for and things like that. And it doesn't mean you don't then circle back with them later about, hey, based on that conversation, I really thought about it. I think I have XYZ skills that map to this. Like I, I just think if you don't start, if don't start there. I think start with Truly, like a selfless amount of like, I'm just here to do informational. I just want to learn. I think about it no different than every once in a while, there are executives at other at companies that are, you know, have, have reached out and said, hey, Stephanie, I just want to chat about how you've done XYZ. 
Like it turns out later, I was like, oh, I get it. They were trying to see if I was interested in such and such role. But that wasn't what we talked about. What we talked about was the business and what I was doing and what I've done and things like that. They were really just there to learn. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny. I, I've, I've had that too. It's like the stealth yeah. recruiting. I mean, I realized it later, but it wasn't obvious. It didn't hit me on the head in the moment. Yeah, well, and the nice thing about having those types of conversations is it really, it isn't necessarily a traditional interview. So if you walk out of it, either with you as the potential candidate saying, hey, you know what, this is really isn't for me, or the yeah. hiring manager saying, hey, you know, this person probably doesn't actually have the right. Yeah. Like no harm, no foul, right? Yeah, like you still you still gain something. Although, um, you know, I'm <laughs> it's hard for me to finish that sentence because it's like doesn't have the right what. And and I'm I'm trying to think about this from now the the hiring manager's perspective. And if you're talking to a candidate, like how do you think if so, like if someone's doing an interview uh, an informational interview with you and they don't necessarily have the background, we always hear this idea of hire for potential, not for skills, or hire for attribute, not for experience, or, or whatever you want to put it. And I, I, I understand the, like the theory, but I don't necessarily understand the practice. Because if someone has zero background in customer education, and I am looking at like hundreds of applications, how would I know? Uh, you know, without doing informational interviews with a hundred different candidates, uh, who is best going to be able to pivot into that role? I'm curious if you have like a, a well, way of looking at why, that. Like, so now we've flipped, right? Now we're talking about it from the hiring manager's perspective, which I, which I think we should. But I think it's my long-winded diatribe started with a, what would I do if I was someone looking to pivot? And so I would say first, their informational tour shouldn't be in interviews. They should learn as much as they can so that when they do have a more true interview, they can, we all love a good connector, right? Who can talk about, oh, you know, I learned this or I know this person. I don't mean like crude name dropping. I just mean, you know, if you can then as a hiring manager, talk to someone who's clearly done their homework and can, can say, oh, you know, I've really shown like, here's, I knew I wanted to make this pivot and here's what I did to get there. And like, now I can very clearly say, and this is what I think, you know, I've hired multiple teachers on my team. And this is what I think they've done well at is connecting the dots of the struggles they had as a teacher or the ways they worked as a teacher that like align to the things the business needs. And that is to me how you can bridge the gap. It's not using your inter informational like chat as the interview, it's doing some of those first and not just with hiring managers, but with people in the space. Every time I've ever had a teacher that wants to apply for a job, I connect them with the teacher on my team first. Like here, chat, like first, if you're just interested, like before we even have like a discussion, I think you should talk to someone that's made that pivot, things like that. To me, that's, that's how you can tell as a hiring manager, did they do their homework? Can they connect the dots? This episode is brought to you by Intellum. You know Intellum, we've had them on the show before. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know the customer education leads to retention and revenue. So the Intellum platform gives you everything you need to educate your customers, partners, and employees on the products and services you sell. They've got a great platform. They've got Evolve as an authoring tool. And with Intellum, 
put it all together, you can deliver highly personalized and engaging learning experiences, give your customers a single destination for all their learning needs, and create and manage a wide range of content. So check them out today at try.intellum.com slash CE Labs. That's C-E-L-A-B-S. Yeah, you're you're bringing out some really good topics here that we can we can dive into several of these. I think one is the idea that a hiring manager can tell when you're faking it or forcing it. 100%. Usually, right? Like not not always. You can you can be really smooth about it, but at the end of the day, if you're name dropping or if you're I don't know, just saying things that don't sound exactly right, or you're using terms loosey-goosey that usually have a more specific and practical application, like an experienced hiring manager can sniff that stuff out. So don't fake it, be authentic. Don't try to like... Authenticity is like the biggest, the biggest thing. Yeah. Another one that you brought up that I think is interesting and worth digging into is who you're actually talking to for these informational interviews. You talked about connecting... Uh, you know, someone who's trying to make the the switch with a, a teacher, on, uh, like a, a, a former transitioning teacher on your team. And I think that's interesting, too, because often a lot of people will want interview uh, informational interviews with the hiring manager. And the hiring manager is only going to have so much time to do out-of-process interviews because they're also doing, like, official interviews for the role. They're having one-on-ones with their team members. They're doing the rest of the job. So, like... Yeah, I think I think there's there's something really wise there about figuring out who you're going to talk to and and someone who's like really eager to have this conversation with you and and might be in a role similar to the one that you want to get into. And I think it's also like even that shows they've done their homework, right? If I've chatted with someone that doesn't have like if I'm in an interview, that means that they've crafted their resume in a way that was in or referred by, which is a whole different topic we can talk about. But if I'm talking with someone that doesn't have conventional customer education background and I'm having an interview with them, it means they did their homework enough to do some, and this is why I called it like a listening tour to some extent, because it's just like they should be a sponge and absorb as much as they could. Then they crafted their resume in a way that connected the dots enough that it flagged for the recruiter someone that is got enough core skill sets for to talk with me. And then when they get to me, what they should be able to do is verbally connect all those dots and understand from lots of different perspectives. Here's the challenges that a customer education org faces. Here's the background I have. When you talk about, like when you chat with teachers, and I'm not saying that everybody with a non-conventional background fits for these roles either. That's just the harsh reality. Not all are a good fit, but there are some that that are. You chat with teachers that had to deal with pivoting when COVID hit to digital learning and all the challenges they overcame. You want to talk to me about being a trainer? Let's talk about how you handled that. How did it work? How did you engage your student? Things like that. Connect those yeah. dots for me. That's, that's what I need them to do. Yeah, no, I, I love that because I, I feel similarly when I've hired people who come from non-customer education backgrounds, like I've, similar to your point, one of one of the, the great members of my team uh, at Slack came from like an education administration role. Like she was in the classroom and then she moved into the administrative side and was able to like really connect the dots, really show me that she'd done her homework, knew what she was talking about and could 
could tell me with a reasonable level of fidelity what she would be doing on this job, where her strengths would would uh, lead her to be successful, what blind spots she might have. And, and it's that level of self-awareness that I think is often lacking when you come in and you're you're like just trying to prove that you really want this job or where you're gosh, I don't know. I'm like I'm I'm not finding words for it. But like you nailed it though. I think it's this self-awareness and the authenticity of like if I can connect those dots and both be self-aware of where my gaps are, but also say, but like here's where I think I can excel based on like I said, my suggestion of like learning as much as you can from lots of different roles and then being able to craft that narrative for someone while still being honest. Here's where I think I'll have challenges, but here's the kind of employee I am and how I'd work through them, right? Like that's that's the, the piece that matters to a lot of hiring managers. So, and like I said, sometimes we're going to say, no, we really need someone that knows how to do this exact thing. But there are those orgs and those managers out there that understand you can hire a little bit differently. And that's how those candidates can shine. Yeah. And it also depends on what type of team that you're you're joining. Like often, to your point, if it's a startup hiring their first person, they might be more exactly to hire someone who has a non-traditional background because they don't necessarily know, you know, who has a traditional background or why it matters. You might also be able to come on to a larger team. Like for instance, at Slack, when my team started getting larger and we had, you know, like six learning consultants instead of two learning consultants, then we could start to bring on people who had less traditional backgrounds because they would get support from their team in filling those gaps. But the odds are always going to be against you in the sense that there will be more people. Like I, I think about, I think about this as like, like concentric circles Often okay. when I'm reviewing resumes where like the, the, the circle in the middle is you've done this exact, exact job before. And then the next circle out is you have like one leap to make. So that might be, I right. was doing yeah. internal L and D training and now I'm going to do customer education training. It's right. you only have one leap. similar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like another leap out is I was doing training like at, at, like at a, at a retail store or something like that you're doing training but now you're not doing it in yeah. b2b right so you can, can kind of like at apple stores <laughs> yeah I've, I've hired people who have that background too and they can be amazing it's just it's the thing that you have to realize i think when you're interviewing and this comes back to the self-awareness point is that the more leaps you have to make between what you have done and what you will be doing like you need to be able to express how you'll fill those gaps and show that you have the awareness of what those gaps are. You've it's actually, actually a big, nailed you've nailed it. They need to do that. It, yeah. And so it, it, in fact, it's a big red flag for me when I talk to someone, even if they're, let's say like one, one leap away from the role that I'm hiring for. And I'll almost always ask a question about what do you think will be different about the role that you're in and what do you think you'll need to learn? And I know it's tempting to want to puff up and be like, well, no, it's the same. I know this. I know exactly what I'm doing. Right. But it's to me, red flag if they they peacock it too much. <laughs> if you can, if you can't tell me what you have to learn on a job or what will be different, it suggests to me that either you're not comfortable being vulnerable, or that maybe you're not approaching the role with curiosity, or that you can't be coached. 
right? To me, like, okay, so I give her hidden, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm about to like unleash a secret manager secret that like I shouldn't, but here's, I'm just going to be honest. Very rarely as a hiring manager, do I have a candidate candidate that is like a hundred out of a hundred? It's just not, it's very rare. Every once in a while we found this like, oh my gosh, gem of a candidate, you know, instantly this person's going to be perfect. Most of the time we have candidates that are really good candidates and you have to figure out is this person coachable? Can I, like, are they agile? Can I get them to where we need them to be? And if you have that person that comes in and is just super boastful and can't acknowledge and isn't self-aware of where their challenges would be, it is, su- it is such a, to your point, red flag as a hiring manager. And instead, what I love is someone that comes in Here's what I can do. Here's what I'm great at. Here's what I'm understanding your business needs. Here's how I can help you get there. Here's where I see like my gaps, but I am really, really coachable. I'm, you know, really mindful of what I want to work on. Like those to me, that's who a manager ends up wanting to hire. Yeah. And this is true, by the way, I would, maybe, maybe this is the like hire for uh, aptitude or hired for coachability, not hire for experience thing, because I'm thinking about it. Like if I had two candidates and one has done something educational, but they can explain really well how they will succeed in the role. And I can see their energy and their passion and that they're already, that they've done their homework to your point and have a high level of self-awareness about what they'll need to do in the role. And then generally we'll have a practical activity during the the interview. Like if they, if they nail that, I would take that candidate almost any day over a candidate who has ostensibly done the role, like maybe they're like closer to that center sphere, but they're not really talking about how they would approach the role. They're only talking about what they've done in the past. They're not necessarily asking a lot of good questions. Maybe their practical activity is lackluster. Like just because you've done it before, doesn't mean that like you have it in the bag compared to a candidate who's really showing that, that energy. Yeah. Can we talk about those questions for a minute, not necessarily specific questions, but you and I in brainstorming for, for this session today. <laughs> Hello. We talked about the questions piece, I think, is also so indicative of the homework you've done both for the space. And this goes to whether or not you are a seasoned education or a person coming in that is trying to pivot. I think coming to an interview with questions and the right questions for the right person at each stage of that interview is possibly one of the largest indicators for me as to whether or not you understand the business and you'd be a good fit. Let's talk about that. Let's because I think we're we're circling around a core point that that I really like. But you're saying that the you know the red the complete red flag is not yeah. having any questions because I agree. that suggests that maybe you yeah maybe maybe you didn't have any time to prepare or it you're is, not curious about is. the role or. You know that feeling you get, I don't know, that feeling you get when, like, I think back years ago when I watched like American Idol and it was someone that was just like awful and you have that total cringe, embarrassed feeling for them. That's how I feel when someone comes to an interview and you ask like, what questions do you have for me? And they give the response of like, you know, I I think you've, I'm good. I think you've answered all of them. And it's like, really? You have such a lack of curiosity that in this 30 minute interview and we're 15, 20 minutes in, you've got nothing for me. That is like the largest, I almost 
never move that candidate forward. Because I think if you can't think of at least one question, and really you should come to that interview with at minimum, in my opinion, 10 to 12 ready to ask. Some of them may be answered as we go, but you have backups. Ask questions. I need to see that. Yeah, and and even if for but you know by some miracle all ten to twelve of the ones you've prepared have been answered, you like <laughs> you can still come up with another one. Like customer education is about thinking on your feet, um, or about being curious about what you're listening to. Like if you're in like let's talk about a world that isn't very like think on your feet. Like instructional designers are more deliberate typically, uh, and you don't necessarily hire like super spontaneous people for for that role. However. Customer edu- uh, in, in customer education, instructional designers have to be really good investigative journalists and have to be able to get the most out of their SMEs. And if you aren't able during the course of a conversation to pull on a thread and find out what's important to them and ask a question about it, then that suggests to me that you are not going to succeed as an instructional designer. Hey, Dave, my customer education bookshelf is looking a little lonely. Any recommendations? Hey, here's a thought, Adam. Have you checked out Daniel Quick and Barry Kelly's new customer education playbook? Well, I mean, I'm a bit biased here because I'm actually in it, but uh, I think that's a great addition because it lays out the steps to run a customer education program in a super clear, practical way. And it's full of tips from other great leaders who are doing the job every single day. Hey, that's right, and I'm in it too. But seriously, I'm a SaaS book enthusiast, so I'm gonna go out and have Barry and Daniel sign my copy today. (laughs) That's great. And if you want one, head over to thoughtindustries.com slash playbook to get your copy. That link's in the episode description, so get reading today. How could you possibly ask a PM enough about a feature of functionality they're getting ready to release if you're not curious? How Show me that investigative journalism-like skill set in that interview. And also be mindful of who you're interviewing with. This is like a major, major pet peeve of mine in interviews. You can ask me what a day in the life looks like. Don't ask the, the next level when I pass you forward to my boss, or you're interviewing with the chief customer officer or the VP of professional services, depending on where education sits in the org. If you've gotten that far, do not ask them the same questions you asked me as a hiring manager. Do not ask me the same questions you maybe asked the trainer or the other ID that you were brought in. Maybe one or two can overlap, but be like, ask different questions so that you're getting a full range of information in that interview and you're showing, oh, I've done enough research that I can ask the questions that are relevant to these personas that I'm interviewing with. Yeah. Like what, what can this person tell me that will give me more information about the role? Because you're interviewing them too, right? You want to, you want to make sure that this is the right role for you. And I think that's why like build on it. If you chatted with the recruiter and the recruiter gave a few pieces of information. Ask me about those. Hey, it sounds like the the key things you need in this role are X, Y, Z. Tell me why those matter. Okay. So then I get that information from the hiring manager interview. Okay. When you go to talk to that next person in that process, harken back to that. I chatted originally with the recruiter on this and then we talked about it, me and you know the hiring manager. It sounds like X, Y, Z is needed. T- tell me a little bit about your perspective on that or what? how does that ladder up to what you need? Yeah, because like now that. you're showing that you have listened, you're showing that you can connect the dots, you're showing that you can understand what somebody else in the business cares about. Exactly. These, these skills all will, will help you. And I agree, by the way, about not repeating questions. 
if you do, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the it's like learn the roles before you break them. I actually do repeat a couple of questions when I interview for a role. There are some that should totally I do it very deliberately. And sometimes I I will I will tell people that I'm interviewing with that I am asking a question over and over and over. A so that there's no ambiguity about what I'm doing, but B, it's specifically so I can understand the different viewpoints on that same question. Like for instance, if I'm interviewing for a customer education leadership role, I am going to ask pretty much everyone during every round what they think the value of customer education at the company is supposed to be. I agree with you there. I, agree. That deliberately. I, I do think I, you're right. I think it's, it's not that you can't repeat questions. I think if you are do it intentionally, it's to, to gain You're right. Like w- what does everyone actually think? It's more for me. Don't ask questions just to ask them either. Like the whole point is that you like, I, I want someone to show that they're really trying to learn about something. Yeah. So, okay. So Cardinal sin one, not asking questions. Cardinal sin number two, asking questions just to ask them. Cardinal sin three, asking the wrong questions, to the wrong people. Like what, what are, what are some of these examples besides like, tell me about a day in your life. Are there, are there certain questions that you feel like are generally unproductive if asked to the wrong person or like, yeah, tell me, tell me your experience there. We covered the most of them. Like, I, I think to, to me, it's the, once again, if you've done all your homework and I can't stress that part enough, right? If you've done all your homework. Okay. Wait, one other cardinal sin. Don't, when I say do your homework, I also don't need you to be, this is going to sound so mean. I don't need you to be creepy about the homework that you've done either. Like, I get it. You looked on my LinkedIn, but like, don't, don't necessarily be so like, I looked on your LinkedIn and I saw this post that you made, you know, seven months ago that said this one thing. And it's like, okay, you can show that you did your research without necessarily, I don't know, it's going to be a really controversial thing. I just said, because I think a lot of people are going to be like, wait, I do that. But I'm not saying don't do that research. But also just sort of be mindful in the way that you share that you've done that research and not make it seem too like, I don't know, Adam, what am, I, f- I feel I can't put into words. When I, I'm know, I, think, I think I know what you're saying. There's, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about doing your research in a moment because I, we, we've <laughs> come back to this theme a few times and there's a lot of research that you can do. But there is... Like, I believe that doing your research is important in the sense that it's going to let you frame your answers or your work samples or the questions that you ask in a way that's more relevant given the things that you've learned. You're you're basically making your part of the conversation, including the questions that you ask, more specific to the role that you're applying for. Yes. There's a different flavor of doing your research where you're showboating about it and you're you're referencing something just because you want the person to know. Yes, yes, that it, it's cringy when that happens. Yeah, I, I feel similar. I mean, <laughs> every once in a while, someone will do it in a way that impresses me, but I think it's more likely to be off-putting than impressive if, like, without any other qualification. Like, look, I'll be honest, Adam, if I were interviewing with like you and me referencing a a podcast that you did at one point, like that does make sense. You've put that out there. That's like part of, of that. 
but it yeah. feels different if it's like some random LinkedIn post that someone made that like, that's not necessarily what they're doing. I just, I feel like it's the, the showboaty part that you just mentioned of like, you don't have to bring it up just to show that you looked at my LinkedIn. Like, it's okay. There's other ways to show that you understand like why we're here talking today. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, I think this is one where different hiring managers will have different preferences. But yeah, in my case, at least I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I wouldn't, I would never find it weird if someone referenced an episode of the podcast, because to your point, we put it out there like as a resource for people who are in this role. So if you listen to it, like what you're, what you're showing me is that you've invested in your professional development and perhaps as a side note that you you've done your research, you know, because if you Google search my name, you'll, you'll find a bunch of weird things, but you'll, you'll also find the podcast. And frankly, though, I would be just as impressed with someone who brought up something interesting from a different customer education podcast. Cause, okay. So let's, let's now kind of go into this idea of, of doing your homework because there are three things that you've kept coming back to. And I want to, I want to codify these three things because this is going to be the basis, I think, of the rest of our discussion is number one, one way to stand out is to be really good at connecting the dots. If you can connect the dots between your experience and the role, between the role and what the business is trying to achieve, between questions that have been asked earlier and questions that you'll ask later, right? Like your your ability to like synthesize information and understand understand the assignment. Is that what Gen Z says? Right. Let's go with it. Yeah. I understand the assignment. You, if you understand the assignments, then to me, that's like, there, there's this thing I've been trying to quantify for a long time about what makes really good, not just interviewers, but but really good performers on the job. It's, it's that they have the ability to, to synthesize. They have like get it factor, so to speak. And it's really hard to say exactly what that is, but I think connecting the dots is a big, a big part of it. The other part of it is the second thing, self-awareness. So if you are, if you can connect the dots and you can show self-awareness, including awareness of where you have to grow in a role or really what your strengths and weaknesses are, even though I don't love asking like, you know, the standard strengths and weakness question, that's, that's why people ask it. And then the third one being do your homework, do the research on the role, the company, the space, the industry. And the thing is with the third one, so let's look. Yeah, let's let's go into this in a moment. Like you can do your research not just on the person that you're interviewing with. Like, of course, go check their LinkedIn, check their Twitter, or whatever, but research the program that you're interviewing for. It's customer education. Most of these programs are publicly available. Research the program and research the business that that program's in. And, and I, I don't know, maybe I come back to this because I started my career in inside sales. And you didn't make a cold call to someone until you did your research. I dug into the white papers on the company I was calling, what's the news that was happening, things like that, so that you could, to be honest, connect the dots to here's why I'm calling you. You have a business problem. I'd love to help solve this for you. I think it's the same thing. You need yeah, to like do read the company's S1 or yeah. understand what they're public. trying to, to solve for. If you go into an interview, you know, during a time period where, you know, I don't know, maybe they're starting to emerge into to new markets or what's the business case beyond like what's the product or, so, you know, platform for that to me 
understand that, understand how education as much as you can, understand how education plays a role in in that, and then bring all of that to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go, I mean, there's, let's talk about different different ways to research. Like you can go actually take the the training online a lot of the time. Like you can actually go to the academy and see what it's like. And let's you talk about go in there. That. if they don't have it, that's interesting to me too. I noticed your academy is not like public. Like that's a great question there. I didn't find, you know, I didn't find a lot of information on that. Talk to me about, does that mean that only customers can, can access? What are your thoughts on why non-customers wouldn't be? I'm just saying like, even that is information yeah. in and of itself to dive into. Yes, that to me is like good, good, do your research. Like if you've done research on the actual program and if you can give feedback on it as if you are the customer, that to me is almost always a productive activity because you're doing a few things in one. You're you're able to offer a new perspective to people who are probably in some ways too close to their own programs to, to always be getting the feedback from the customer's perspective. You're showing that you've done your research and you're showing that you can connect the dots uh, around what you'll be able to do then in the program. But you are right. Where to go? You're, try and go find all the, the content that you can. and Go to their and community. Stay. Yep. Look the company up on Crunchbase or or a similar <laughs> service. The basics. Like how big are they? Where, you know, so, some of those things. Who's on their board? I always think it's really interesting to figure out who's on companies' boards and and where you might be able to draw interesting parallels there. There's a lot of research to do outside of just, you know, their generic website information. Go a level deeper. Totally. And then that lets you ask more interesting questions, going back to your point about questions, about this role and what's it for. So there's there's like two versions of the same question, one of which I really don't understand that well, and one of which I really like. Uh, I'm not going to say I dislike the first one. I just don't really understand it because it's like a very traditional, what's like... The, what's the first one? Give me the first the one. First, so the first one is, can you tell me why this role is open? And the answer you're looking for there is like, this is a backfill or this is a net new role or I don't remember. Like there's, there's, a, few, there's a few scenarios, but like I'm always a little bit unclear on exactly what the candidate is looking for when they ask that question. Can I, I don't actually disagree with you, but I think an interesting way, can I tell you why of all times for that question to make sense more is right now? I would be really curious. I don't know that I'd word it like you said, but interestingly enough, I'd be fascinated to understand if a company right now, like we said at the very beginning, given the space, given all the recent layoffs, if I found a company that was hiring right now for customer education, that is really intriguing to me because I would I would assume it's either so strategic to them, like, is it a backfill? It's something like that. So I actually, I agree with you. It's not my favorite question in normal times, but I think there's a way to ask that right now that would help me understand how strategic this role is given the times we're in. So I, I agree with you. And this is why I like variant two on this question. Because like variant one, the one I just asked, like doesn't, I would feel like doesn't give me a lot of information as a candidate, quite frankly. Like like I, I see where you're going, but like I think the more effective or, or the, the one that's going to give you better information is asking like what the, what the strategic purpose of the role is. 
Yeah, because I think you back into the answer to what you really wanted to know from the first variant of that question. You'd get by asking more of what you just said. Yeah, because I think like the first question, like if you're just asking why is this role available, I think traditionally or in normal times, what you're trying to get at is was there someone in the role that wasn't meeting performance? Was there, is this a net new role and thus the function is growing? Something else? I don't know, at least for me, like... I would much prefer, at least as the hiring manager, to talk about the strategy behind the role. And, and that, as, a, as a, a candidate, that often opens up richer discussion about like, okay, well, what does success look like in this role? Like, what what would a, a great performer do versus a like an average performer? That is the big one. I agree with you on that. I think that variant number two of that question is is really valuable. And I think asking it that way also highlights you as a better candidate. All right, let's cut off today's episode here because it's a long one and we'll pick back up in part two. Until then, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. We hope that you'll leave us a nice review on wherever you leave reviews on podcasts. And until then, keep on educating, experimenting, and find your people. Thanks for listening. <laughs>